This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's going on, y'all? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be bringing on good friend, Mr. Taryn Bauer. Now, Taryn brings a wealth of knowledge from how to cultivate a piece of property into growing some giant whitetail year after year. Not only does he do that, he also kills these giant whitetail. So we're going to get Taryn on here to pick his brain on what he does, how he does it, talk about timber stand improvements, early successional growth, and even more. So again, y'all, we just want to thank y'all for tuning into the Hunt Stand Podcast. We really appreciate y'all's support. If you haven't yet, download the Hunt Stand app, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. Are you ready to get this thing rolling? I am. Let's get it done. Okay. Let's talk whitetails. Well, let's talk it, man. I mean, we're just gonna we're gonna run through it. We're just if we go down some rabbit holes, that's that's cool. We'll go down them, uh, and we'll just pick your brain on everything whitetail. It sound good? You bet. All right, man. you bet. Let's do it. Well, Taryn, man, first and foremost. Thank you for coming on to the Huntstand Podcast. Can't appreciate you enough for taking the time out of your day today to talk nothing better than whitetail with me. Yep. One of the things I like to do to get every podcast started is I like for you, the guest, to give the listeners kind of that 30-foot tree stand view of who you are. You know, Kind of tell me where you live, how you got into hunting, and kind of how you've gotten to where you are today. Yeah, you bet. So I grew up in Oak, Nebraska, um, kind of south central Nebraska, um, right on the Little Blue River. Um, was just involved in the outdoors kind of since day one. Um, my dad and some of his buddies had a started out with just a camper and then they built a cabin. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just rifle hunters. It was just kind of the, you know, the week of rifle season. And that was something I looked forward to every year. Um, I just, it was so awesome having all the guys in camp. Um, 
and it was we were kind of the only one with you know like a hunting cabin right in that area so people from 15 20 miles away they'd bring you know they'd bring bucks in and i remember you know getting held up over the tailgate just to uh just to look at the bucks and that kind of that kind of started it off for me i guess um and I wanted to hunt more, so I started out bow hunting right away, and I've been mm-hmm. bow hunting for for about this will be like year twenty three, I think. Heck yeah. um, so I've I've bow hunted for for a lot of years. Um, my wife, when when she got with me um, in college, I got her got her started bow hunting a little bit, and now our seven year old son, he's he's bow hunted a little bit he shot two turkeys and a uh, 130 inch whitetail last year wow. at age seven at age seven in kansas with the crossbow so it's kind of just a kind of just a way of life now um but yeah we we live like i said right on the kansas border so i've got a, a family farm in nebraska mm-hmm. uh, my parents my parents own some land up there so I hunt that. Um, I acquired a lease that borders us this last year. Uh, it kind of ties everything in together and it's helping save some bucks too, really. It got rifle hunted pretty hard in the past. So, but, you know, having the, you know, my dad with the farming background and stuff, I've started doing food plots, you know, 10, 15 years ago and basically have, you know, planted anything you know that's known to whitetails i've i've tried it and kind of developed my food plot systems over the year of what i plant and you know what i don't plant anymore um but yeah so that's kind of the kind of the background so i love it man i mean i love that you got your family involved you got your wife doing it now your son's doing it so i mean yep that's yeah well she'll she'll say she's not doing it anymore because somebody has to home and watch the kids which <laughs> which is exactly right so yeah. she's not getting to do it as much now but hopefully again here soon yeah well that's what i'm hoping i can do i've got a two-year almost a two-year-old at home right now yeah and, and every time i say you want to go hunting she gets ecstatic when she sees the deer here mm-hmm. in the office behind me she's sitting there pointing at it going buck so yep. that's good for dad, right? Yep. That's good for me yeah. to hear that. So yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Now, what do you do for a full-time job? So actually my wife and I, we have a photography business here in town. Okay. Um, the studio, we have a studio right next to the house here. Um, we're really busy with that. And then I do, um, I do a little bit of, of work with Whitetail Habitat Solutions too, yeah. with their, um, with the kind of sponsor relations with, with them too. So yeah, that and that and watching the kids and, you know, pictures almost every, every day, it's keeps me busy, but yet, you know, I get enough time to, to get out and do the food plots and, and the management and that type of stuff too. Yeah. So man, I love it. Now, uh, a good friend of yours who, uh, made the connection for us, uh, Jace Bowserman, he let it, he let me know that, uh, you're kind of referred to as the whitetail Yoda, if you will. He does call me that. He does call me that. I think it's only because every time he shows up here, something dies and he just thinks it's like <laughs> automatic, which I, for some reason when he rolls into camp, it stuff dies. But now he's, he's hunted with me, turkey hunted with me for 
probably like seven or eight years now. Um, I think he's deer hunted for four or five years and he's kind of, he's kind of seen the progression of the farms and mm -hmm. stuff and kind of how they've changed over the years with food plots and hinge cuts and, and that type of stuff. Um, it was probably four or five years ago we were turkey hunting and I think we'd, I think he'd filled both of his tags. And the next day I was like, well, we're going to go do some whitetail stuff. And he was all about it. Cause he was just kind of, you know, getting into whitetails a little bit. And we got onto a, a, to a farm that he hunts now. And I told him, I was like, yeah, see that, uh, see that little hump over there, that ridge. I said, there's going to be a bed on there. And we walk over there and it was, it was full of deer hair. And he was like, no, no way you just did that. No, no way. That was crazy. So, um, you know, he's just, we've talked whitetails and, um, I've kind of helped him strategize some stuff out in Colorado. And, and like I said, he's killed, he's killed four bucks here. I think he killed his, he killed his biggest buck he's ever killed, um, four years ago. And then the year after, um, the wind was real screwy one morning for us. Um, and so I told him, I said, let's just go hop in my bank's blind. Um, we'll seal up all the windows, keep it sent tight. And sure enough, the biggest buck I had on the farm that year, uh, a buck I called triple brow mm -hmm. showed up and he shot him at like 12 yards. He was 160 inch mainframe yeah. four by four. And, uh, so he went ahead and killed that buck too, but that was cool. It was, it was an, it was just an amazing time seeing him kill that and how excited he was. So I imagine man. It, it was cool. Heck yeah. It was cool. Well, what I want to focus this podcast on with the white tail Yoda is not necessarily growing giant white tail in the Midwest, but cultivating and managing and just creating a suitable habitat, if you will, for these uh -huh. white tail. And it seems like that's that's your bread and butter, man. You know, yeah, food plots. Yeah, that's what I love to do. Yeah, food plots, hinge cutting on bedding areas early succession growth, moon phase. I want to talk all that with you. And so kind of kind of give us an introduction on what goes through your mind and how you approach one of your properties when you have big bucks in mind. Okay. All right. So so basically, you know, when I'm starting to set up a property, the first thing I'm looking at is access. Um, access to me is, you know, the number one important thing. You know, you've got to be able to move around on that property without bumping deer. Um, you know, the next thing is going to be food, um, developing food plots. Um, so many people I see, you know, will they'll be like, you know, oh, I've got an open spot over here. There's no trees. I'll just put a food plot in it because it's easy. Yeah. And, you know, they're like, man, once I've started putting food plots in and things like that, uh, my deer hunting hasn't necessarily gotten any better. It's maybe gotten worse. And a lot of that I think is, you know, they didn't design out where their food plots should be in relation to access and things like that. Mm -hmm. So they're actually, they're actually inviting more deer to their property, but then what they're doing is they're bumping more deer. So they're not holding as many deer. So basically I'm looking at, at access food plots and then, you know, bedding type stuff. Um, and then like, as far as, as far as the, uh, the food plots go. I used to plant, it was a lot of clovers, alfalfa and stuff like that. And I've yeah. kind of strayed away from that now to where all of my food plot acres are more focused on fall type plots. Okay. Um, so, so I'm starting with a base of corn 
Uh, and corn, corn has seemed to be better for me, better than beans, I guess I should say, mm-hmm. as the grain. Um, you know, if you can't, if it's legal in your state and you can knock corn down, corn's it's it's tremendous the entire season. Um, but like in Nebraska, we can't knock our corn down because it's it's technically placing bait. Um, but you'll still you'll still get good you know good usage of it throughout the entire year and i was finding with soybeans you know they were hitting them through the summer which is great but you know we're not necessarily hunting deer during the summer yeah so i'm not all that worried about summer food so i've switched over to corn and then i will i will do some brassicas here in the next couple weeks i was just talking to uh talking to my cousin trevor this morning about about getting the brassica plot put in here in the next two weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go go with just strictly radishes in that plot. And then um, around the edges of the, co- edges of the corn, I'll go with a wheat, rye, triticale, and maybe some oats in that. Um, and like I said, that's all geared towards, you know, what's most attractive during the hunting season. Now, um, w- when you talk about knocking corn down um... – Y'all aren't cutting it. You're just basically like, what, what does that mean? Like you're talking to a Texas boy here. Yeah. Uh, so, so me. a lot of guys, so a lot of guys will, will just go in with, with a shredder mm-hmm. and they'll just shred, they'll just shred the corn. And I've talked to like our local game warden and it's Nebraska's baiting laws are, they're, they're kind of screwy. Um, there's kind of gray areas in them, but our game warden says you can't knock corn over. So I can't knock corn over. Um, you might talk to another game warden and he says, yeah, go ahead. But like I said, my game warden says, no, you can't do it. So I don't do it. Um, but like I said, it's still good. But if you can knock the corn down, it, it just seems like it's crazy. And you'll, you'll notice that, you know, being up here in the, in the Midwest, the first cornfield to get harvested every year mm-hmm. is an absolute magnet. Um, I had a buddy probably 10 or 15 years ago, killed a real nice buck over the first, first cut cornfield that year. And like I said, it's just a magnet. So, now, so, okay. So you can hunt after a field's been cut and harvested, right? Yep, but you yep, can't. Yep. Okay, I get what you're they, saying. So if you just yep, basically they, go through and shred it, you can't hunt it. But if it's harvested yep, and cut, they, you can. Yeah, exactly. They they say that if it's a, if it's for food plot, it's not a normal farming practice to to shred it. Okay. So it's so it's technically placing bait. Um, I know there are guys that that have found some <laughs> some ways around it. Yeah. Um, you can you can run a combine through it and basically blow it all out the back end of the combine if you want, but <laughs> like I said, it's it's just some of our laws that we have to do. But in states where you can do it, um, you know, early September, October, November, December, all those months, if you have knocked down corn, it is just it's a magnet. Especially with like our combines today up here, mm-hmm. they're not leaving much waste grain at all. So you know, you might have you might have a hundred acre cornfield, you know, next to a two acre cornfield. And, you know, that farm field has very little corn in it. And you, you know, you have, you have a field where you leave it stand, you know, and it's full of, full of kernels and full of, full of corn. Yeah. They're just going to hammer it. Okay. Okay. So, so you kind of talked about 
fall? I mean, are you putting in, you know, you talked about corn as kind of your go-to. Is there a wintertime, late season crop that you're putting in or food plot, if you will? Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be the corn, but it'll also be that wheat, rye, triticale. Mm -hmm. Oats, a lot of times will, will die out after a couple frost. Um, but I've noticed, um, you know, if you do have kind of a warmer December, say even 30, 40, 50s, you know, that, that temperature range right in there, the deer will hit that green. Um, so basically I'm planting corn, like I call it my destination plot where, you know, where I'm wanting all the deer to focus on, Mm -hmm. you know, in the evenings. So, so I'll start out with radishes there and then behind the radishes, I'll have about an acre to an acre and a half of that, that wheat, rye, triticale mix, and then corn on the backside of that. So basically any type of weather, you know, if we'd end up getting snow later on and and bitter cold temps, they're going to hit that corn. But if it, you know, if it warms up a little bit, they're going to hit those radishes. They're going to hit that green. Ah, okay. Okay. Man, this is, this is all, uh, food plots is new to me because being in Texas, yeah. it's, it's not a real, yep. it's not a real big thing. I mean, you'll have some of the bigger ranches and places around here that they'll, mm-hmm. they'll put some food plots in place. Like, you know, primarily just oats. Um, and I think yep. you'll have like a couple yep. of other, other like biologic fields. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, lo- I love talking about this cause it's new to me and you know, I'm getting to come up to Nebraska actually in a few weeks, uh, very beginning oh, of awesome. September to hunt. So I'm excited about that. Good deal. Good so, deal. Yep. And I tried, I tried that too. When we, for years, our, our season opened September 15th and I always, always tried to shoot for that first week of September to plant those greens. Yeah. And once, once they moved season up to September 1st, I was like, man, I've got to plant, I've got to plant my stuff, you know, like the 15th of August or the 10th of August. Mm-hmm. And I found out real fast that the very first year that if you plant that stuff that early, it'll get too tall and it'll just get rank and the deer won't hit it. So it's real important up here to watch those frost dates and basically plant according to your frost dates, you know, like 60 days before and stuff like that with the brassicas. So I, I just have to, uh, you know, kind of, kind of just, grit my teeth and, and do it. I hate to do it because I'm usually doing it the first weekend of deer season, but I figured out that later on in the season, it's you're, you're way better off if you can plant, if you can plant at that first week of September. I like it. I like it. So I feel like, um, you know, food plots is, a, it's, it's a pretty, pretty wide, uh, concept topic. Uh-huh. I want to move on to hinge cutting bedding areas kind of tell us tell us what exactly is that and why you're doing it and what does it benefit yeah so the hinge cutting i've been around for about 10 years 11 years um and it was crazy because the first year that i did it um prior to that i was hunting and i'd see you know, maybe 20, 30% of the deer that I had on camera. And then the first year that I hinge cut and kind of designed where the bedding area should be according to, you know, food plots and access and that type of stuff. I basically was seeing every deer that I had on camera, every buck that I had on camera, I should say. Um, so I kind of, 
I kind of fell in love with hinge cutting at that point. Um, 10 years now, you know, 10 years later, I maybe don't like it as much as I should. Um, when I go to buddies' properties and stuff like that, you know, it's not for every property for sure. But like for mine on the river with hunting, you know, I basically have like 80 acres um, on on the river mm-hmm. um, where I'm trying to hold as many deer as I can. Um, I, I love hinge cutting. Um, and then this last year, a buddy and I, we did some, some basically some clear cutting where we went in and cut, cut every junk, junk tree. And so like back to, you know, like talking about designing a property and stuff. So, so basically on the river, you know, it's not, I don't have blocks of timber like they do in, you know, Iowa and Illinois and Kentucky and places like that. I just yeah. have basically the, the, a river corridor. So the, the widest timber that I have is probably about 175 to 200 yards wide. Wow. And then, and then all the way down to, you know, like in my funnels are, you know, 25 yards wide from the field edge to the river edge. So, and obviously those are the areas that I'm focusing on, you know, with all of my sand sites. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so basically where the, where the, where the timber gets thicker or wider, um, I'm going in and, and making hinge cuts and, you know, basically, basically a hinge cut is, you know, you're, you're cutting three fourths of the way through the tree, tipping the tree over. Um, you're, you're getting cover there. Um, and deer love just to bed up against that cover. Yeah. And it's also, it's also splitting those, those doe family groups up. Um, I've kind of noticed that you can stack more deer into a, into like a, a block of timber mm-hmm. when you, when you separate them. Um, and I don't know if it's just, you know, one mature doe doesn't like looking at another mature doe or, you know, what exactly it is. But since I've, since I've done that, I've put way more, way more deer on the property. And, um, so back to, you know, like I was saying, designing the property. Yeah. So basically I'm, I'm doing the food plots and then right behind that is going to be the doe bedding. Um, does are usually always going to bed closest to the food source. And then behind that is going to be your bucks. Um, okay. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people will see that on food plots or say that, you know, they'll be like, well, the, you know, does showed up first and, you know, the buck showed up last right before dark. And, and I think, you know, one of the biggest reasons why that is, is because does are, does are bedded right there next to the food and the bucks are bedded, you know, beyond them. So, you know, when you don't have a block of timber, it's important to get those does out, you know, as close as you can to the food. So you're able to to get some bucks to bed in there. And like I was saying, um, I'm trying to put does, you know, in the first 75 to hundred yards, and then I'm going in and doing less hinge cuts back behind for the bucks. Um, and then obviously, obviously on the, on the sides of there, you know, cause it's like my property, you, you could kind of say it's kind of almost like an hourglass okay. where it's thick bedding. It'll neck down and then get bigger again and then neck down and, and everywhere where it's, where it's thicker like that, that's where I'm trying to stack all of my does and I'm trying to keep them away from those funnels and then just hunting them 
coming through the funnels, you know, or during the rut, you know, I'm trying to hunt the bucks in the funnels going from doe bedding area to doe bedding area. Uh, and then what I've done now too is, is put travel corridors that connect each one of those bedding areas. And, um, so basically what we did is went in there with a skid steer, put a six, six foot wide pass through there and that connects every doe bedding area. And my cameras, my camera locations will be in those funnels at the tree stands and it's, it's, it's worked out really well. Wow. Worked out really, really well. Dang, you got me excited. So, got me uh, yeah. wanting to come up there, man. You bet. You bet. Nope, it's fun. It's a fun process for sure. I like it. That is for sure. But And like when I first started, and you know, you, you've maybe read magazines, art, articles and stuff about, you know, hinge cutting and buck yeah. beds. And, you know, it used to be like, yep, I'm going out. I'm going to go. I'm going to go out today and make some buck beds. And, you know, it's not really necessarily making buck beds or doe beds, but, you know, you're kind of doing it to where, you know, like I said, to where everything lays out, you know, according to the food, because the, the does are going to bed for food and the bucks are going to bed for security. And, and that's just, you know, no matter where you're at, it seems to be, that's the case. All right, y'all, we're going to interrupt this podcast real quick for a quick word from our sponsors. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Bowtech Archery. Refuse to follow. If you're in the market for a new bow this fall, make sure you check out Bowtech and the easy tuning capabilities of the Deadlock system. I've been shooting the SR350 this year, and tuning that thing has been so easy. Don't have to worry about twisting strings or doing any of that razz and jazz. So if that's what you're looking for, make sure you check out Bowtech Archery today. Up next, we got Lacrosse Boots and their Navigator Series. The world is raw, rugged, and relentless. Navigate it accordingly. The Navigator Series is born to take your hunt further. Check out the comfortable and versatile line of lace-up hunting boots from Lacrosse today. Up next, we got Federal Premium. Go beyond what you ever thought possible with their lineup of Terminal Ascent ammunition. I've been using this ammo this year so far, and it has worked phenomenally for me. From Predators all the way up to a beautiful Hill Country, Texas Axis buck, it worked amazingly. One shot, that buck didn't go anywhere, about 250 yards. That book dropped right in his tracks, literally didn't have to do any tracking. So if you're in the market for some new ammunition, check out Federal Premium and their lineup of Terminal Ascent. Up next, we got Browning, the best there is. I'll be using their new lineup of Ovix gear this fall, so I'm really excited to check that out and just get to use it this fall all the way from the Whitetail Woods up in the mountains chasing elk. And finally, we got WorkSharp, the knife sharpening company. I use their MK2 knife sharpener on every knife in my house, in the kitchen, in my pack. It makes sharpening your knives a breeze. My wife even loves to use this thing. It makes everything super easy. So if that's what you're looking for, make sure you check out WorkSharp today. All right, y'all, we're going to get back to this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. Now, in regard to relation to these directional relation to your food, where have you, I mean, obviously it's going to be property based, terrain based, but uh-huh. you know, would you say that there has been a common denominator in deer movement, you know, east, west, north, um, south, would you say like there's, cause I know I, I'm thinking in terms of relations to like elk hunting, you think, and you hear guys say all the time, Oh, go to the Northeast slope shaded side of the, the mountain. You know, that's, that's what you're looking for. Is there anything like that? that you would cue the listener in on whenever they're trying to design that property themselves? Um, not necessarily on movement wise, um, a little bit on bedding and, uh, 
I, I've got one buddy that, that I argue with all the time about cedar trees. Cause we have, we have a ton, a ton of cedar trees and, you know, everybody loves cedars up here. And it's, I've just started to find out that you can't have that much shade, um, mm-hmm. deer want wanting sun. And we're kind of running into that problem where guys aren't, guys aren't managing their cedar trees. If you can manage your cedars and just have say blocks of three or four or five or 10, you know, mixed throughout CRP or even just in clusters, it's fantastic to where they can bet on the side of them. But where you're getting, you know, crazy thick cedars, deer just aren't using them like, you know, like people, people think they do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of topography based stuff. Um, and like, like I was saying with Jace, you know, when we were on that turkey hunt, you know, doing some, some, some scouting, um, you know, I walked him into that hump and if you get some topography stuff like that, you'll have, you'll have bucks bet on that. Or otherwise something else I've noticed, uh, a lot is where a river or a creek bends mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll, you'll see a bed out there. And I, I think majority of the time it's a buck and it's a pretty good buck to where they can bed and they can look up and down the river both ways. Um, and then they'll, they'll use the wind to their, to their favor too. So, you know, they can see anything coming and then smell anything from the other way. And if they have to, they'll bail right off that riverbank, you know, to the other side of the river or, or Creek or, you know, whatever it is, but. Okay. So the next thing I kind of want to dive into is you talked about early secession growth. Tell, uh-huh. tell listeners what is that and how you're using it. Okay. So, so basically on that, where, where I started with in Nebraska on our farm, I started out with a lot of cool season grasses, um, brome, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's, basically useless for wildlife it'll hold some fawns a little bit in the summer when it's standing but once we get once we get a frost once we get some wind um, some colder temperatures like that it lays down and we had an entire pasture that had been pastured with sheep for for years and it was it was all smooth brome and so i've i've been going in there and killing sections of that brome out of there and establishing early successional growth with, mm. you know, sunflowers, pigweed, mare's tail, water hemp, you know, it's, I've got one, I've got one spot that's solid marijuana this year, <laughs> absolute, <laughs> a marijuana mess. And, uh, but it's good structure. I mean, it's holding, it's holding a lot of deer right now and it's, it's given those deer brows. Wait a minute. Um, with the water hemp. Did you say marijuana? I did say marijuana. It's like yeah, I like how you just kind of mar- like like I got marijuana, and you just kept talking I'm like whoa, whoa, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yep, hold on, yep. got got marijuana. Uh, fill me in a little bit here, like what? <laughs> how I, we we have we have marijuana all over the place up here, and obviously it's not your 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 good stuff, right? Um, otherwise. Otherwise, I'd be a really, really rich man and wouldn't wouldn't be doing this type of so stuff. So you probably be was, podcasting <laughs> with me, right? Now. If, if it was the good stuff, yeah, I'd I I'd be selling it. But explain nope, the, it's uh, explain the difference. I don't. I I honestly don't know the difference. Okay. <laughs> but we have it. We have marijuana, and it gets eight foot tall. And like I said, it's good. It's good bedding. It's good structure. Um, but yeah, yep. So. 
that that's a little bit on that rabbit hole you were talking about going down. Yeah, the, the, this is a rabbit hole right now. So, like, I know, like, I should have never even mentioned. Mar- I should have never <laughs> even mentioned marijuana. No, I but, mean, I, I want to dive in this because I know the listeners like me are probably. Whoa, wait, he said, wait, what? Like, yeah, okay, so yep, and the next, the next time I'm down there, I'll take a picture and send it to you. So is it just? But, I mean, you just like go to the, the ag. I mean, what? I no, mean, it's just store it's in you, this. It's just in the seed bank. So, so like when you kill that brome, mm-hmm. that brome has tox has a bunch of toxins in the roots. Okay. So it basically chokes everything out. So when I went in there and started killing that, everything that's in that seed bank from the last you know hundred years is starting to come up, and and that's one of the that's one of the things. So somebody is, just went out there is, and planted marijuana, or I. I have no idea where it came from, but it's it's everywhere. So what do you do in a game it's in warden? The ditches and it's I mean there everybody up here is used to it. It's it's just uh I mean that's where a lot of our guys shoot their turtle doves at because so, our turtle doves are are in it like crazy and I don't know if that's why they fly so fast and so crazy, but that's where our turtle doves are at. So it's perfectly legal though. Yep. Yep, it's it's just a it's just an invasive weed up here. Okay, I just want to make sure I don't, I'm not going to have a Nebraska Wildlife <laughs> Department agent call me back. Hey, who's that guy you were talking to on the Hunt Stand podcast, nope. and he's growing marijuana? <laughs> no, nope, no, nope, it's just part of it. It's part of it. But okay. I'm gonna if it comes up if it comes up next year, I'm gonna start weeding it out because the deer don't browse on it at all. But like I said, it is good structure and it's providing some some bedding. Mm-hmm. Um, in that early successional growth, will kind of will kind of curb the gap, um, the nutrition gap, because a lot of your weeds, like your, your water hemp, your pigweed, all that type of stuff. I'm, I'm not going to say the, I'm not going to say the M word anymore. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that stuff is full of nutrition and the deer browse on it like crazy. Okay. So, you know, basically when we're going in from our winter months into our spring before like our soybeans are planted and stuff like that, the deer are really focused on, on basically those types of weeds. And, you know, we're starting antler growth like two to three months before any of our crop fields are really up and Mm -hmm. they can benefit from those crop fields. So to me, it's really important to have those, those weedy areas just for not only for food, but for bedding cover. Um, and I, I use mineral up here. It's, it's legal to use mineral here. Um, but I'm not, I'm not really sold on, on mineral helping with, with the size of antlers, no. um, you know, and that's kind of against what, what a lot of people will say, but you know, I, I just don't think you can get a wild deer to, to eat enough mineral. Like right now, my, my biggest buck has shown up on mineral three times, I think this year. And I've got a camera, right? I'm rolling cameras right now on, on all of my mineral sites. So you just don't, I, I feel like if you don't have, you know, those, those weeds and that type of stuff, that's full of nutrition, Mm -hmm. you're hurting yourself with antler development just a little bit. And a lot of it has to do with rain and stuff too. We were, we were real dry this spring starting out and I'm seeing that kind of hurt the, the antler development a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you know, if you can start off the winter, you know, with a, which we had a really mild winter. So I was like, man, this is going to be fantastic for, you know, for antler growth. Mm -hmm. But we started out with, with kind of a drought and our plants weren't necessarily super healthy. So deer weren't necessarily getting all the nutrition that they could have been getting. 
So we did get some rains and stuff's really taken off. Um, the marijuana's going like crazy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I'm, I'm huge on that. Um, you know, shrubs, that type of stuff, woody brows for, for later on in the season. It's just so important to get, you know, the stuff that, that doesn't do your deer any good. Like mm. I was saying, those cool season grasses and transferring them into warm season grasses. Um, I've got, basically I've got the pasture half split up right now. Half of it's really wheat, really weedy. And then the other half is, is your tall native grasses. Um, right now the deer are preferring more, more of the weedy areas. Um, and I need to, I need to be a little bit better about, about turning that native grass into, into a little bit more of, of kind of a weedy mess. Okay. Um, just so, just so there's food in with, in with that bedding. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of kind of in experiment stage right now too, where you know if the native grass ends up being better during the fall for bedding than the you know when that early successional growth, I'll try to transfer that over to it because you know obviously my focus my main focus is is on holding deer during the fall, not necessarily right now, but it's it's in the Midwest it's so tough to you know try to keep you know have it just all a fall property and just because you have fence lines and you know field edges and stuff like that where deer are going to prefer during the summer where they can kind of get a breeze and stuff like that but i try to keep all my timber super super thick with the hinge cuts and stuff like that to where they're going to want to be there during the fall okay man oh there are so many rabbit holes with this it's insane so you bet. I get, the next thing I want I want to go over you you had talked about this before we hopped on the podcast and you had spoken on moon phase. Uh-huh. How are you utilizing moon phases in your properties? Okay, so my my thinking is a little bit different than than kind of your like your university studies and stuff like that. Okay. They'll tell you, you know, you'll see which like I, there might be some people shake their head at this, but I've just seen it for too many years um, now with cell cameras and, and I can watch it closer with the cell cameras. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing it happen. I'm seeing it happen more and more and, and believing in it more and more. But, you know, you'll see a lot of, you know, a university study will say no correlation between deer movement and, and the moon. And every time, every time I read that, I'm just like, man, that is just not the case right here. And, and you might, you know, you'll maybe disagree with, with what you see in Texas, but I love the full moon. Um, really the, yep. Yep. I, I will have all of my, I will have all of my really, really good trail camera pictures will be on the full moon in and around that full moon. The dark period of the moon, I do not like, um, explain my my best hunts will be around that full moon um so i watch a lot of the moon rising times and every month when we have the full moon the say four to five days ahead of that full moon afternoon movement will be terrific it'll be the it'll be the best of the month um if it's warm, you know, obviously the weather's going to trump it just a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, if we can couple it with a cold front, you best, 
you best get in a tree stand because deer movement's going to be good. And now that deer movement's going to get just a little bit later every day as that moon rises a little bit later until the night of the full moon, the deer movement here is usually right at dark. Mm -hmm. But say, say five days before that, you know, I need to be in my stand. If the moon's going to rise at three o'clock, I'm getting in my stand at two o'clock or two fifteen. Each day, that movement is gonna is gonna get a little bit later until it hits that full moon time. And then on the back side of that full moon, mornings when the moon's high in the sky in the mornings, then then I'll switch over to mornings. Um, Man, and that that is one hundred percent. I've watched it for the last ten to twelve years, and it's it's like clockwork. And I, I have a bunch of buddies that'll, that'll, you know, text me and be like, Hey, when's that, you know, when, when should I hunt this? And, you know, like I said, it goes against a lot of, a lot of what people say, Mm -hmm. but, and I don't have experience with, you know, like Pennsylvania guys, um, you know, even Texas guys. And I don't know why it would be different, but I feel like there are so many studies and stuff like that that it's possible that it's maybe just a Midwest thing. I don't, I don't know, but I just know for myself, I'm, I'm hunting those full moons and that's when I'm seeing my best deer movement. Man, I, I will have to say that I do not disagree with you because now that I'm thinking on it, uh, all my trail cameras, it makes sense because like right before a full moon, it's like the afternoon activity is insane. And uh-huh. then after that yep. full moon, the morning activity is the same. And so, I mean, yeah, yep. it, it just, yep. and it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter time of year either. Um, it is, you know, if you're going to summer scout, you know, that full moon, mm-hmm. that's when I'll take my drives. You know, if, if the family wants to go out, you know, look for deer or something like that, I'll be like, Hey, you know, we should go out next Friday night or next Saturday night. It'll be, it'll be good. But, um, I have, I have found that to be true. Um, like I said, for the last 10 or 12 years. What, um, what about and, when it's those dark moons though? Like what are you seeing the deer doing then? Um, you'll get, I'll get a little bit of midday movement, um, say 12 to two ish during then. And a lot of people will tell you, you know, you're going to see that on the full moons because they're up moving all night. And that, like I said, that's just, that's not been the case for me mm-hmm. personally. Um, and even if I've got, you know, say like, I don't hunt a lot in September and October. Um, I kind of leave the properties just, just kind of soaking in until the rut really kicks in. But, you know, if I've got a buck hitting a food plot or something like that, say, you know, 20 minutes after dark, something like that, um, even maybe even an hour or two after dark, if we have a good cold front that couples with that rising moon, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to take a chance on him and I'm going to go hunt that buck. Um, even if he hasn't daylighted because there's a good chance that's going to be one of the first times where he daylights. Okay. And, uh, this year, this year, the full moon's setting up really, really good. Um, it's November 8th this year. So I, I love my favorite time on, on my dad's farm is the eighth through the 12th. So I'm, I'm tickled about that. And that, that full moon's going to kind of end right as rifle season comes in too. So, I mean, I hate to say it, but I'm not a huge, not a huge rifle season man. So 
I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited that that's going to be towards the dark part of the moon. Um, uh, I would almost bet that I kill, I kill my buck this year between the sixth and the 12th, just on, on that full moon. I'm going to text you between that time. All right. To All find right. out. I'll if be you, sending a picture. <laughs> I want that picture, man. Yep. You bet. You bet. Man, I, this is all really good advice for those guys that are trying to figure out how to set up properties. I mean, obviously, it's uh-huh. people are thinking about that now if they haven't already for the past couple of months. So I know we're running out of time, but before we go here, kind of give any last-minute advice you would have when a guy's looking at his property, trying to figure out what to do, considering all these things that you've talked about today. Yep. Like I said at the beginning, just kind of remember your access and make sure you're not bumping deer. So, you know, if you're going to go and design a bedding area, make sure you're not designing it somewhere where where you're going to be having to drive past all the time to, you know, to go check a camera or something like that. Um, and then another thing real quick, kind of that I do, and you kind of have to, it just kind of depends on the state too, but like I try with a rifle season during the rut, I try to, I try to hold more does than, you know, say somebody in, in Iowa maybe should, mm-hmm. you know, where they don't have to worry about rifle season during the rut. I want as many does as I basically can keep healthy with, you know, with food plots and stuff like that on my property to hold those, hold those does. So I'm basically trying to hold as many bucks as I can, you know, during that lockdown time. So they're not over on neighbors properties because it's so easy for me to lose so many bucks during the rut. Um, in the last few years, it's been, it's been a little bit better. I've, I've saved more bucks than I have in years past. And a lot of that I think has to do with, you know, places where those bucks can go and take does, um, into that thicker cover and lock down with them. And then having those big, bigger doe groups like that, um, you know, a lot of times when he gets done breeding one, there's another one in that family group that's coming in. So he's, you know, right on lockdown onto her. So if I can keep him locked down for, you know, say four or five, six days of that nine day rifle season, I'm sitting, I'm sitting way better off. But, um, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, setting up, you just got to remember, you know, try to focus your habitat more on the fall, fall type habitat, your thicker habitat um, food plots, stuff like that. I know a lot of guys get wrapped up with clovers and alfalfa and stuff like that. And, and that's, like I said, it's good, but if you can, you know, provide weeds and stuff like that, that Mm -hmm. have that same nutritional value, um, you know, do that, that's going to provide some bedding too. And, and lean that focus a little bit more on, on those fall type plots. Man, I love it. I love it. Tell the, tell the listeners real quick, where they are you on social media can they find you on social media anything you've done before i am i am um just taryn bauer on facebook and then it's just tb.hunter on on instagram and you bet man i love it taryn man i really appreciate you hopping on the hunt stand podcast yeah talking about all this i know we're definitely gonna have to get you back on here because we'll have to talk more stuff on cultivating your property so i love it man so thank you you again whenever whenever it'd be fun all right y'all there you go and end to another episode we just want to thank taryn for hopping on 
bringing a bunch of knowledge to us. And hopefully y'all will be able to take something from this podcast, apply it to your property, do some things to cultivate some giants so you can start killing some giants yourself. And again, y'all, we just want to thank you for tuning into the Hunt Stand Podcast and we'll see you on the next one.